0: uh, If you weren't here this morning, I do want to say it's an incredible privilege to be back in this great nation. Australia, what a great, great place. And uh, you hid from us for a while, but you've opened up your borders and let us back. So we are very grateful for that. But obviously been praying into this time, praying for the season and just trying to hear God. How many of you know, obviously it's been a crazy, crazy few years and the last time I was here... I declared some awesome things, and then I left you, and everything shut down. So I'm not going to declare anything awesome tonight, except—no, I'm just joking. I—I'm I, uh, hoping to declare some things again, and just um, love that you have stayed the course. Grateful to God that you've kept on doing what it is God's called you to. And uh, how many of you know that God's been working in this season? And maybe it hasn't worked out how we've thought, but God's been doing some stuff, and. Uh, I've kind of felt more and more that it's in seasons of crisis and in seasons of confrontation that the destiny of God is revealed way more than it is in seasons of comfort and convenience. I I know we don't like crisis. I certainly don't. I, I don't like confrontation, but it's in those seasons God brings back the most important things. It's in those seasons we we get to be reminded and and see again what it is God's called us to. When when we have comfort and convenience, it's kind of fitting around us and it's what do we want and we got momentum and we're running with things and we're hoping God's in it. But, But when crisis hits us, we come back to what really matters. What's this all about? And I'm certainly not a prophet by any means, but I've done my best in this season to ask God, what is it that is happening in this time and season? And there's many things, but I, I, I believe there are three major things that have been happening. I think you would agree with me, and I'm sure you've got more to add, but I feel like three major things have been happening. Number one, we are seeing people sin like never before. Now, I know that sin has always been here. I've read the Bible. I know what happened in the book of Genesis when sin entered the world. But I want to tell you, it seems like sin is being exposed more and more. People are sinning. People, Lawlessness is existing. Everybody's doing whatever they want. Uh, our governments, and I'm not here to talk bad, but global governments have been exposed. Things have been exposed in, in regions and cities. And, but you know, friends, it seems like sin's in the church also. And it's like lawlessness. And the Bible warns what to do in those things. It warns uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 about godlessness in the last days. And and I'm not here to preach on it, but it warns of the things that would begin to happen. And let me tell you, we're seeing it being lived out. And it's interesting how Paul writes, and he, he says we're to avoid such people and keep away from them. That's what he says when it comes to people raging and people lovers of themselves and lovers of all these things. And He says, stay away from that. And, it, and I just want to ask you, are you staying away from that or are you involved in that? Because it's important to God. God still cares. He does not tolerate sin. He will never t- tolerate sin. And he cares when people are sinning. That's why Jesus had to come and die on the cross. I believe it's a sad reflection of the church today that we are more afraid of holiness than we are of sinfulness. So I I, I don't want to be negative, but people are sinning. How many of you can see that? How many of you know that? I mean, the corruption, it's there, and it's being exposed. And if that's all that was happening, it would be bad enough. But at the same time as everyone and people out there, and it's just sin is abounding, and at the same time that's happening, we see secondly, the devil is raging. So you've got sin happening, and people are sinning, and then you've got the devil raging. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be self-controlled and alert." Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith. And I've heard people talk about the devil like he's a mouse with a megaphone. Like he's just this little mouse and he's got this megaphone and he doesn't really, but we've just read he's like a roaring lion who's on the prowl looking to devour and take out people. I was fortunately a few weeks ago able to get back to South Africa and I went to Africa to the bush and I encountered a lion, not, not walking, but while I was driving. And, and let me tell you, that's no mouse with a megaphone just the very sight of a lion, and then if it just is, and two lion, we recorded, two lion, were like having a little talk to each other, and there's like, "Who?" and the other one's, "Who?" and I'm, um, get me out of here. <laughs> and I, I'm not glorifying the devil, I'm letting you know he's like a roaring lion looking to devour anyone and everyone, and he's raging while men and women are sinning, the devil's raging, and he's seething, and he's got us raging against each other. He's got people fighting people, and he's got uh, we us fighting each other. We're fighting governments. We're fighting people. We're all standing on different places, and we're just going at each other, thinking we're in a good cause, but we're actually playing into the cause of the enemy. We're taking each other out, and I don't want to get into all the social media stuff again. I've... Address some of that, but just stop taking each other out on the causes that the devil's got us fighting. A house divided cannot stand, a kingdom divided itself cannot stand. And I know we know this, but let's not play into that. Let's just get off social media. Remember, I said this, and now just get in trouble again and say this that social media has certainly not allowed or let the what did I say? Uh, Social media has not enabled the lame to walk, but it has enabled the dumb to speak. And I know I get in trouble. That's why I keep saying it. I like being in trouble. But it's like we think we're standing on these great truths, but we're actually dividing, and we've got the devil raging. And you know, he seeks to destroy the church. He seeks to take us out. And can I just say, he will use anyone, including you and me, to take out each other. I remember doing a series, uh, I, I remember when we were driving, I used to take our kids to church, Nicole and I would drive separately because it's better that way on a Sunday morning. Husbands and wives should just go separately because the devil likes to divide you before you get to the meeting. And so she would drive separate in her car, and I'd go, my, and I'd take my sons, and they'd say, Dad, what are you preaching on this morning? And I'd go, the Bible. And they'd go, yeah, I know. And then they'd say, what are you preaching? I'd say, Jesus. They're like, I know, but, but what are you preaching? And I'd always have this game with them, and the one day I was preaching on how to kill the church. And so I was driving, and my boys said, hey, Dad, what are you preaching? I said, how do you, I'm going to preach on how to kill the church. They looked at me and said, I could see Josh's eyes in the back of their car going, why would you preach on that? I said, because the devil desires to destroy the church and this is how he does it, by using us to take out each other. He'll use anyone and everyone to divide and to mess up and to distract from what it is God's called us to. Now just be aware of that. I'm not going to talk on that tonight, but be aware of that. He is outraging. He's seething. So you've got man sinning, or people sinning, not man. People are sinning. At the same time, you've got the devil raging. But there's a third element that's most overlooked, and I've overlooked it because I've been so focused on what the devil's doing and so focused and disappointed by what man's doing. And in this crazy season, God had to remind me, by the way, I'm also doing something. Yeah. And so what is God doing? God is shaking. You've got the devil raging. You've got man, people sinning, not man, man and woman, because la- woman, amen, when we say man sin. So we'll go people sin, right? You've got people sinning, devil raging, and guess what? God is shaking. And it's into that context we find ourselves and saying, well, what's this all about? Now, I want to tell you about the shaking. Shaking is a good thing. Shaking reveals what we are anchored to. We don't know what we're anchored. Someone said today, I think in the panel, the toothpaste, you, you don't until you squeeze, then you know what's really inside. You can say what you want inside till the pressure comes. And and shaking reveals what we're anchored to. One Sunday in nineteen sixteen. G. Campbell Morgan stood in the pulpit of Westminster Chapel in London to deliver his sermon. World War I had been raging for two years, killing and maiming countless soldiers and shattering the prosperity of Europe and America. Death and suffering were everywhere. And Morgan preached a sermon entitled, Things Shaken, Things Not Shaken from Hebrews chapter 12 verse 27. He said, If we've learned nothing else, surely we have seen our smug self confidence rocked to the core by the hand of God. He closed his sermon that war ravaged Sunday with these words For every shaking of the earth, the man of faith thanks God. Only the things which are not vital can be shaken, and only the transient. Can be destroyed. The real things of life abide faith, love, and hope. Through the shaking, these are manifested. Or, well, as Haggai said, by the shaking comes the desire of all nations, which is Christ Himself. And then He said, This may He direct our hearts into the patient waiting for Him that is born of our sense that the shaking of all things. Is of God, and that only that which can be shaken can be destroyed. Shaking is a good thing for believers, shaking reveals what is kingdom and what is not kingdom. And God is not about anything other than His kingdom. And so when the shaking comes, it's to help us, His people, get back to kingdom stuff, the stuff that will last forever. When He shakes, it's to break down. When He shakes, it's to break up. When He shakes, it's to break open. God does things to break open, but in the breaking open, He also closes some things down, right? I haven't heard too many people preach on God the great door closer. It's like God is the door opener, and we love the Revelation text, that God, the, the, if God opens a door, He opens a door that no man can shut. How many of you love that? We prophesy that, we say that, we, but in that same verse it says that he closes doors that no man can sh- open and I don't hear anyone rejoicing in the closed doors we all blame the devil that's got to be the devil the devil closes all no God the great door opener is God the great door closer and crazy season we've been through this great God has closed some doors it hasn't all been the devil He's closed some doors in order for you and I to see the doors that he's opened in this season and so part of the shaking is doors have been opened and our Beg of you, I pray that we as God's people in the season can stop trying to kick down the doors that is closed and come back to what's been opened through this crazy season. Let's walk through the doors that cannot be closed because He's opened them. But let's stop praying and fasting for doors to open again when God's closed them. Maybe forever, maybe for a season. But doors have been closed by the great door opener and the great door closer. Are you hearing this? Let's not pray and fast for what was. Let's embrace what is and let's look for what's to come. And let's look around. And in our ranks around the world, we have seen doors being opened like never before, even though many doors have been shut. And we just cannot be nostalgic for an era that does not exist. We can't long for what was. We can't go back. There's no going back. God's not in the past. God's in the now and into the future. And we must be people who realize the shaking has broken uh, broken things open. God shakes to break through. This is a season of breakthrough. It's different to how we perceived it, but there is breakthrough that has come through the shaking. God shakes to break in. God wants in. He wants His church. He wants to break in. He's tired of being on the outside looking into His own church. Now He's broken in by the shaking. He's saying, I want in. My church, give me my church back by giving me honor again for me to be in the midst of my people. I said this morning, what would the church look like if it was built to attract God, not just people? That's the church I'm looking for. I want to be part of a church where God is in our midst, not because we have to say theologically, because there's evidence that God is here. And God wants His church back in Australia and New Zealand and this land of the white cloud in New Zealand and the great south land of the Holy Spirit best become that again by the church opening her doors to letting God take His church back as He's broken in and revealing Himself afresh. Amen. Also, I want to say this, he shakes to break out. He shakes to break out. I've said this many times, that as the world is at its worst, the church needs to be at its best. And I'm just going to say, maybe at times, and maybe through this season, we haven't been at our best. It's almost like, I heard the best, is like the makeup of the church was removed through this season. I thank God for makeup, and I won't get into trouble speaking on that, so let's move on. But makeup, they tell me, covers up blemishes. Is that right, ladies, a man, I don't know who? I mean, keep putting your makeup on, but makeup doesn't get rid of, it just covers up. Is that right? No? Okay. <laughs> Husbands don't want to amen that right now, do you? And so this season almost removed the makeup of the church. And the blemishes were revealed. And the heart of the church has now been revealed, not the blemishes and the cover up. But but I've watched how quickly we want to put the makeup back on. Don't put the makeup on. Deal with the blemishes. Sort the stuff out. Come back to being better. Come back to being more Christ-like. Come back to reflecting Christ rather than covering it up and being this attractive, fake thing that when all removed, the blemishes are there. The world that is worst needs the church to be at its best. A.W. Tozer says revival happens when the majority of people in the church decide to swallow the Bible and let it have its effect on their lives whatever comes their way. See, I live in America, and America's big on we need Christian governments, and we need Christian books, and we need Christian movies, we need Christian schools, and we need Christian businessmen, and we need Christian business people, and we need Christian, and I want to say one thing we need more than all that is Christian Christians. That's what we need. If the church is going to be better, it just means we are truly Christians. We, we can't look to governments. We can't look to more movies and more books. Just go and be who God's called us to be. As the world gets worse, church gets better. As the darkness shines, the light shines brighter. Not through governments, through us, God's people, God's church. Just reflecting the light and being Christian Christians. I think the two trends that hurt the church's credibility is inactive believers and unbelieving activists. I'll just leave that there. So why am I saying all this? I have no idea why. Good word, that's right. Thank you. I, I've got a friend who's not part of NCMI, but he's a, he's a good man and he's a prophetic man and he's a man I trust. And And a while back he called me and he said, the Lord put me on his heart. And he was like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to say? What do you want to do? And the Lord said, I want you to call tyrants. He did. And he said, what do you want me to tell him? And he, he gave me this great prophetic word and this great picture. And I, I, I don't want to emphasize the picture, but what it basically was saying is that he saw me standing on a dock, and there were these ships, thousands of ships at sea, and he saw two ropes. One was, had come from, uh, one was into the, the concrete behind me like an anchor. They were anchored into the pylons behind me, and the other one was in my hand. And he said this, I saw you pivot. I saw you pivot, and as you pivoted, all those ships lined up. And he said, I feel like God's saying that all these people, all these churches, all these guys that God's connected you to, that they're connected to this great uh, um, foundation and this great anchor, but there's also a pivoting, a shifting. And as you shake this, God's pivoting people and pivoting churches back to what God's called them to. And, And I've thought about that, and I wrote down about 35 Pivots I think we've had to make. And I'm not going to preach on any of them tonight. But, but I want to say this. Please hear me. This is not cliche. As I've prayed, I said, Lord, what is it? What is the great pivot? What have you put in us? What have you put in our hearts? What are you saying to me? And, and I felt the Lord say, this is the great pivot that's needed. All these other things are byproducts. But the great pivot that's needed for the church today is that we have to move from a cruise ship mentality Back to a battleship mentality. That's like a thanks for that golf clap right there. I'm staying in uh, Darling Harbour. It's beautiful, isn't it? Beautiful. Wow, it's it's beautiful. Sydney is beautiful in the Darling Harbour. That's about it. No, it's a great place. And uh, every morning and night, I go for a bit of a walk and run and a prayer. And uh, there's these wonderful yachts. I mean, they're beautiful. These yachts are stunning. I mean, there's opulence. And, but then there's this maritime museum. And there's this ugly, gray battleship. And next to it is all these wonderful, beautiful, opulent catamarans and yachts. And then there's this ugly gray battleship. And every time I walk past, I'm offended by the battleship. But I look at it and I'm like, it's made for mission. It's made for purpose. There's nowhere to lay out on that. There's no wonderful seating. It's got cannons. It's It's got all these things. But everything on that battleship is for the people who are not on the battleship. The opulence of the yachts And the cruise ships are all, everything's there for everyone on the cruise ship or on the yacht. It's how to make it comfortable. It's how to, and friends, I know we're not going to get too many amens tonight. But this I want to tell you, God has not called His church to ever be a cruise ship. We are called to be battleship. We are made with mission. We're made for mission. We exist for the people who yet to be reached. We exist to reach people. Everything on the ship is for the people who are not on the ship. we upwards and outward focus. yet the church so quickly, and through a crazy season like this, comes out of it, and so quickly wants to go back to, give me cruise ship, tell me how awesome I am, tell me I'm awesome, tell me, give me the 10 steps to success, just keep me happy, keep me unrocked, and I'm just going to keep coming back. If you want my tires, you want my offerings just make me feel loved. And I'm like, Lord, how many times do we have to move the church? Why do we have to keep preaching? And I felt God again speak to me so clearly the way to stay a battleship, not have moments of it and fall back. The way we stay being a battleship is simply to shift our focus and begin to keep our focus as not church-focused, but kingdom-focused. Now, none of what I'm saying tonight is new, but it's restored, it's brought back, because every week, otherwise every year, we're going to come back and say, are we still a cruise ship, or are we a battleship? And friends, we've got to somehow move and say, it's going to no longer be a cruise ship, it's time to be a battleship, and the way to stay there is to stop focusing on the church and come back to focusing on the kingdom of God. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. How many of you know the church is not the kingdom? Now, I know some of you have been taught that it is, and I'm just telling you it's not. And not because those people are bad, they're wrong. And I'm not fighting you, and I'm not dishonoring them, but the Bible's very clear that the kingdom cannot be shaken, right? The church is shaken all the time. Why? Not the kingdom. If we preach the church as the kingdom, as awesome as your leaders are, they will always be the king. The church is not the kingdom. And as long as we preach the church as the kingdom, then we're forced to focus on us. When you preach the church in the kingdom, we focus on the king. Is, is, that, is that making sense? And I, I know, friends, there's a pressure for us to make it comfortable. I know that people will leave when we present real kingdom stuff. But you've got to settle. Are you going to do the church thing, and every time the crisis hits, they're gone? Or are we going to come back to mission, kingdom, And come back to the things that last forever. See, I'm convinced people lose their way when they lose their why. We need to keep coming back to king and kingdom. This is like simple stuff. This is stuff I've always preached. But I got so busy with church stuff and buying into the American lie and the church lie. And you want to keep people. And if you just calm down, if you stop talking about kingdom, stop talking about mission, people will come. And then you can fill your buildings. And then you begin to talk kingdom and they're gone. And then COVID hits and people leave. I loved some of the discussion this afternoon. I didn't like the political stuff, but all the other stuff I thought was brilliant. Sorry, I'm just having fun at your expense. But I listened to these. I wanted to get up and say this is the one lesson we also had to learn. Just as a side note. Many people left the church or walked away through this season. And maybe it's because we had attenders rather than participators. And because someone shows up on a Sunday to your gathering does not make them a participator. If we make it so attractive, so comfortable. If we make it that people belong, you know, we got this whole thing, we got to get people to belong. Just make them belong and then trust one day they'll believe. Isn't that so awesome? I mean, I understand the notion and I've tried some of that. Here's what I want to say. They will never belong until they believe. I'm not saying make it hard. I'm just saying they don't belong. They're not part of God's family till they believe in God the Father through Christ the Son. And so we are, now we're just going to keep them entertained. We'll keep them every Sunday. One day they're going to believe and we'll do everything they want. Christ's hits, they gone. We saying, what happened? They never belonged. Why? Because they didn't believe. Because believing is when you come into the family. Then you are connected to the family. Then you stay. Then you're part of. Then when the crisis hits, you're in the family, not you're trying to find your way in this family. Because you belong through the Father who's brought you in. They'll never be family till they believe. Let's not make it hard, just... Colossians 1.13 says we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and we've been brought into the kingdom the son, in, the son, in uh, the son he loves, in whom we have redemption. You see that? Transferred, rescued from, brought into, what? The kingdom of God. Hebrews 12.28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us thankful and be, so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. It's the kingdom, friends, that is declared to be unshakable. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom. His will and His righteousness, His way. And all these things will be given to you. Seeking the kingdom is the believer's priority. Matthew 13 verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Let me say to you, don't forget he bought the field for the treasure, not just to have a field. The field was bought. The price was because the treasure was in the field. Romans 14, verse 17 to 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Friends, the kingdom living is the central theme of the entire New Testament. Jesus spoke more in the four Gospels about kingdom than anything else. There are more than 90 references in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus' first sermon was the kingdom of heaven being at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is near, Matthew 4, 17. Jesus prayed to the Father, His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, Matthew 6, 9, and 10. It's the kingdom that is delivered over to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 28. It's the kingdom that demands repentance. Matthew chapter 3 verse 2. It's the kingdom that Jesus explained to the bewildered disciples before Pentecost. Acts chapter 1 verse 3. You know it. After Jesus' suffering, he went and presented himself and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he went about and spoke about the kingdom before his death, after his death, he spoke about the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom that Nicodemus was seeking at great personal risk. John 3 verse 3, Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It's the kingdom that is not in word, but in power, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. So here's what I want to say. The church is in the kingdom, and the kingdom is in the church, but the church is not the kingdom. And we've got to pivot. We've got to pivot from being church-focused back to being kingdom-focused. And then when we pivot, we've got to stay there. We've got to keep there. And no matter what comes our way, it's king and kingdom, nothing else. The kingdom of God is unshakable. The kingdom of God is eternal, meaning no beginning and no end. The kingdom of God is absolute, neither relative nor changes. The kingdom is infinite, no limit in space and time. And none of what I just described at all describes the church. And I want to just say there's a distinction between the two that must be clear. We've got to separate the two. Now, I want to just say I'm not preaching the kingdom at the expense of the church. I'm trying to tell us they're not the same thing. And when I listen to us preach and what we talk about, we talk so much about the church that everyone wants to be about the church. And the church's role, responsibility, is about the kingdom of God, not the church. Otherwise, we'll always be cruise ships and never function like battleships. They're not separate, but they're different. It's like two legs. We need two legs, but they're not the same legs. My right leg and my left leg, I need both. And they can't be separated, but they're not the same thing. Are you with me, my friends? The church needs to view herself, ourselves again, how Jesus views the church. The church is not the goal of mission. The church is the agent of mission. We are the agency through which the kingdom of God comes. When the kingdom is declared, I believe the church is built. When we proclaim his kingdom, the result is the church is built. Our kingdom, the kingdom is our priority. Out of that proclamation, people are called out, the body, ecclesia, To embrace Christ's Lordship. So I just again to say we need a kingdom-shaped view of the church, not a church-shaped view of the kingdom. Don't get distracted with the upkeep of the church at the expense of the advancing of the kingdom of God. Am I making sense? So quickly, what is the kingdom? Well, it's many things. And I certainly don't have the full picture or full understanding, but this I want to tell you, it's not some mystical, mystified, hopefully one day something out there. It's it's simply, I believe, the rule and reign of God. Wherever God rules and reigns, that's the kingdom. Wherever God's rule and reign comes, that's the kingdom. So people say, "Ah, you guys are all about kingdom now. I mean, I've heard that so many times. Are you And I'm like, well, yeah, kingdom now and not yet. I'm not being political. I'm not a politician. It's both. I believe the kingdom, it can come now, has come now. I believe that if someone gets saved in this room tonight, the kingdom of God has come. The rule and reign of God has come. We prayed for people this evening to get set free. If they were set free, the kingdom, the ruler and reign of God has come. If we pray for marriages and they have breakthrough and restored marriages, the rule and reign of God has come. If we pray for financial breakthrough and you get financial breakthrough, it's the rule and reign of God. We see it, friends. It's now but not yet as well. It's still to come fully. So wherever God rules and reigns, that's His kingdom. And our role, our job, our call is to advance, to extend the rule and reign of God. And can I say the rule and reign of God can't come through us if it hasn't come in us. We've got to allow the rule and reign of God in us so we can extend it through us. So what is the kingdom? It's the governing influence of a king over his territory. Impacting it with his personal will, his purpose and intent producing a culture of values, morals, and lifestyle that reflect the king's desires, his nature for his citizens. It's about him, not us. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. Upside-down. Amazing. Jesus came to serve as king. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. This kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. It's a grassroots kingdom Jesus came for every man, every woman, the poor, the broken, the least, and the lost in our society. Not just for the rich people, not just for the pr- prominent people, for all people. That's the kingdom of God. It's a salted light kingdom. Two kingdoms are in conflict. Don't be amazed or surprised by the conflict we face. When it comes to kingdom. If you church focus, with all due respect, you can get along with most people in your city and your region. You do your thing, they do their thing, every religion does their thing, and we all coexist if you church focus. If you're kingdom focused, there's no such thing as coexist. They're two kingdoms. And they're not side by side and pick a kingdom and we can just hang together. They're two kingdoms in conflict: kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. Pick one, and if you're not in the kingdom of lights, you're in the other one. And they're not buddies hang out where there's this clash, there's this battle. So don't be surprised if you're kingdom focused by the battle we're facing. Not against people, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers and powers and authorities. Are you with me, my friends? I hope this is making sense. Don't be surprised by the conflict we face if you understand kingdom dynamics.